This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 290, and we're recording on July 13th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot and Yay. from my scattered brain, because today is the pub day for Swordstone Table, which Woo. is an anthology I co-edited. It's all very exciting. What is it about? I mean, you can tell from the title, but... <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's retellings of King Arthur, but like gender-bent, race-bent, queered, all of those good, subversive, fun ways to retell a story. It's that. That's what it is. Yay. Congratulations. Yay. Y'all, she's been working on this for like a millennia. <laughs> it's been years, actual years. Yeah. And the <laughs> contributor list is really impressive. Go buy it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Amanda is coming to us from... A summer cold. I haven't. Yeah. You know what? I haven't been sick since like 2018. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, none of us have, right? If you managed to avoid COVID, you probably managed to avoid everything else because everybody was inside. My kids went to summer camp and immediately picked up some crud. And now I have Children are germ bombs. But just, they're disgusting. They're so (laughs) gross. And I know, like, they're making the kids wear masks and everything. Yes. But that's not. They're just still touching each other. I mean, it helps. Like, they're gross. They're in camp. They're playing. They're whatever. It's fine. So I'm just going to sound a little bit like this for today. And maybe for our next episode, because we're recording that in 48 hours. So I might just sound a little weird. It's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah, we had to rearrange our schedules because of vacations upcoming. Mm -hmm. But here we are. All right. So let's see. How is this show supposed to work? Oh, right. It's a reading recommendation show, which means y'all can send in your requests for maybe there's a type of book that you love that you're having trouble finding more of. Maybe you need a suggestion for your book club or a friend or a relative or whatever. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. If you have a time-sensitive question, please put all caps, time-sensitive, either in the first line of the form or the subject line of the email and the date you're hoping to hear back by. And if we don't think we'll get to it on the show, we might send you an email response. So keep an eye out for those. Also, speaking of questions you should send in, Mm -hmm. for episode 300, which is only 10 episodes away now, we are doing an AMA show. It's actually an AUA show, but that just doesn't sound as good. Ask (laughs) us anything. Uh, So you can send in questions for that. Also, just maybe say AMA or AUA, whatever, uh, or episode 300 when you send it in so we don't get it confused with questions that are for the regular episodes. Uh, But yeah, we're going to answer some listener questions, maybe recommend some books that we feel like recommending. It'll be a fun time. We're going to have fun. (laughs) We've gotten a bunch of questions already, and a not small amount of them are like, just tell me a good book to read. And I love that (laughs) so much. I love that. Some of them are like, you know, what is your childhood like? But a lot of them are just tell me. We might just lump that into one question. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yes. Always here for what's a good book. Right. Because, <laughs> That's kind know. of the whole, our vibe. <laughs> we have opinions about that. <laughs> All right. We also have some feedback from listeners. We've got, let's see, from Buddy. Feedback for Susan, I think, who asked for whimsical, smart, fun mystery series after reading Royal Spinus by Reese Bowen. She should try the Daisy Dally Rimple series by hmm. Carola Dunn. Set in 1920s England, aristocrat adjacent, as Daisy is a lady who, when her brother inherits the family title and estate, instead of choosing to continue her idyllic of boring life there, rents a house in London with a friend, pursues her writing career, and solves mysteries with a handsome police detective. Well, that does sound delightful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. The next bit of feedback is from Kate for Joan, who was looking for reads about women at midlife. Check out Dakota Blues by Lynn Spreen. On My TBR came highly recommended about a woman in her 40s who ends up on a road trip with an elderly neighbor after her life changes quite suddenly. I think I also had that for another similar question. So we'll we'll double recommend that one. (laughs) And Kate also suggests that I, me, Jen, Mm -hmm. should make a book riot list of cooking competition books. I will take that under consideration, Mm -hmm. Kate. Thank you for your suggestion. And... Last but very much not least, Carol has quite a few recommendations for the person looking to dive more into Polynesian literature. Any of Sia Figiel's works recommend starting with her debut, Where We Once Belonged, uh, captures adolescence in a Samoa caught between tradition and colonialism in a stunning way. Tales of the Tikongs by Apeli Hawa'ofa. A collection of satirical stories all set on the same fictional but deeply Polynesian island. It's a delightful romp, while also cheekily addressing many of the same issues that Hao Ofa deals with in his academic essays. For a nonfiction option, Sea People, The Puzzle of Polynesia by Christina Thompson. While Thompson is not a native Polynesian, she does an excellent job walking readers through the history of how Polynesia was settled and also the history of how we Westerners came to accept the reality of the incredible great Polynesian migrations. And then bonus shout out to Melal by Robert Barclay, set on the Marshall Islands slash Micronesia, will probably scratch a very similar itch. Woo woo! So many. All right, Carol. Yeah, thanks, Carol. You are an expert. (laughs) Oh, right. Amanda, will you read our first question? I will. I will do this thing. I will do this for us. (laughs) All right. Our first question is from Maimuna, who says, I just finished watching Outlander, and I already miss Jamie Fraser. Can you recommend books that were similar to Outlander? I enjoy the love story and time travel aspects. Also, the whole I have to marry you even though I don't know you, but you were super hot is kind of my favorite trope. Um, Before we get to that, we are going to listen to a message from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. 
there is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Outlander Rita likes this is this is hard because Outlander is yeah. very singular. It's huge. It's a cultural phenomenon. It has a lot of um, genre tropey things going on. But I think that Poldark, the Poldark series by Winston Graham, will scratch a lot of the same kind of itches that you've had with Outlander, minus the time travel. So the first book in the series is called Ross Poldark. Each of the books is named after a character. And Poldark is about the Poldark family, so it is like a multi-generational kind of saga, very similar to Outlander, which has, you know, well, that's just two generations. But Poldark is, I think, three? I don't remember. Anyway, um, so this takes place during the Revolutionary War. Ross Poldark is from Cornwall. He comes from a family that is, like, landed gentry, but not wealthy. And he is gone for a few years to fight in the Revolutionary War. So he's been in America for a couple of years on the wrong side. (laughs) And while he's gone, his father has died and left the estate in ruins. And the woman that he was intending to marry thought he died in the battlefield. And so now is marrying his cousin. So he comes home from war and is like, wow, all of this is trash. This is a hot trash garbage fire. Awesome. (laughs) And then he has to clean it all up somehow. Like he's got to save his land. Got to find somebody else to marry, I guess. Because Elizabeth is definitely not marrying him. Um, He has to deal with his cousin who like is super sweet and very oblivious and doesn't realize that he's like marrying his cousin's great love or whatever. Even though he barely knew this woman, I will put a little asterisk in that but hey if you like outlander that's probably not gonna bother you <laughs> they not know each other very well and so yeah so each book is uh, about a different like focuses on a different character in book one he does find a woman to love her name is desmelda demelza i don't remember how to say it because i've only read the books i've not watched the show but she is a very um feisty <laughs> kind of character and not his equal socially and um it's it's a, like a very lust-filled kind of relationship and i think that that is also going to that like historical we don't really know each other we definitely come from different backgrounds maybe not different centuries but definitely different backgrounds society is a little weirded out by our relationship kind of thing is is pretty outlanderish and then all the historical elements will feel similar to you from the first book 
while it's obviously not set in Scotland, Cornwall is in this book anyway, is it, at least is a is a very like windswept and difficult to live in and kind of hard scrabble place. So those elements of Outlander where they're like in the woods forever, well, I think actually mm. also feel very familiar here. So that is The Poldark Saga by Winston Graham. The first book is Ross Poldark. And it's a great show. Actually, there are two shows, two, one's for the BBC. I think the other one is as well. But watch them. Watch the new one, not the old one. <laughs> All right. I picked The Nightmark by Tiffany Rice, which is like beloved of many a rioter. And I think is a, actually a pretty solid comp for Outlander in a few specific ways. It is also, firstly, a time slip romance about a modern day woman who ends up back in time. Surprise! The main character, Faye, was married to the love of her life, but then, you know, her husband dies and she's grieving him. She sort of doesn't know what to do with her life. So she decides to move to this tiny town in South Carolina on the coast and take up photography, which then sends her to this mysterious lighthouse. And then she ends up back in time, and there's romance, and there's all kinds of different characters that she interacts with. And it's like, it's a standalone, so it doesn't have, you know, the epic sweep of like all of this history that Outlander has. But I think the tropes are like, you know, the setup is similar in a way that is delightful. And side note, if you want to get obsessed with old lighthouses, this is like 100% going to do that for you. So all kinds of benefits. Also, there's some nice representation in here, uh, which uh, is a little bit missing in some of the Outlander books. So again, that's The Nightmark by Tiffany Rice. All right. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I just finished the Under the Never Sky series and absolutely loved it. I loved the balance of adventure slash action, character development and romance. The relationships between characters seemed to be a central part of the book and were very well developed, even though it had such an action packed plot. There were several romantic relationships and some really sweet platonic friendships that I really enjoyed reading and were even my favorite parts of the story. I'd love to find another series that blends action slash adventure with character relationships and dynamics like this one, both romantic and platonic. Another aspect of the book I enjoyed was how the chapters switched perspectives between the male and female protagonists, which gave me such a thorough understanding of both characters. Possible, I'd love to find another series that has this narration style. All right. I'm just going to keep talking. I recently read every single one of the Earthsinger Chronicle books by L. Penelope, yes. which starts with Song of Blood and Stone. And I'm here to tell you that this is exactly what this series does. There is adventure and action. There are amazing characters who you follow throughout the whole series. The first book really revolves around just two, maybe three characters, and then each book adds more. And there are romantic pairings and friendship pairings, and you get to switch perspectives between the different folks in these pairings. And there is so much action and adventure, like seriously. And it's a complete series, which, you know, how often do we get to recommend those? Like, not that often. The premise of this series is that it's an alternate world that's like just approaching maybe a technological kind of steampunky I guess is what it is but it's not steampunk but that's the level of technology some people have some tech some people don't 
And there's two kingdoms, Elsira and Lagrimar, who have been forcibly separated by magic for many years and sort of hate each other. There's some racial issues as well. But the magical boundary is crumbling and the characters that we follow find themselves on different sides of both this geographic boundary of these magical issues and of the like racial and political tensions. And they have to figure out like, how do you find love across these lines? How do you make peace? How do you rule a kingdom? How do you deal with having powers? Like so many big questions. And it's just so well done. I love these characters. I love the whole setup. The magic system is fantastic. Like it ticks all of the boxes. So again, that is the Earthsinger Chronicles. It starts with Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope. Okay, I picked That Inevitable Victorian Thing by E.K. Johnston, which is a YA novel set in the near future. And the premise is, what would the world look like if the British Empire didn't suck? Like if they (laughs) did the colonialism, but then realized pretty fast that it was super bad and then tried to fix it and like reparations and social justice and etc. What would that look like? I can't, I mean, I can't even imagine. E.K. Johnston can, thankfully, and now we have this book. So in, the near, in this near future, a few things are different other than the, the empire situation. So the princess, the crown princess is named Victoria Margaret. She is a direct descendant of Victoria. Her mother is the queen. And she is like coming of age, you know, she's a young adult. And she's about to have a politically advantageous marriage, which is pretty, you know, not a new thing for royalty. Um, The difference is that in this universe, most of these things are arranged by genetics and the government has like all of your genetic information on file. And it's how they help you find a job. It's that's going to like suit you. It's how they help you find a suitable partner if that's a thing you're interested in. And it's like framed as not a malicious or malevolent situation, but it's a little creepy. You know, that's like not a thing most people are into, but that's what's happening. And so before she's before she's going to get married, um, you know, just like her mother did, uh, she gets kind of gifted one summer where she can go to like a corner of the empire, pretend to be somebody else and then like do whatever she wants for a couple of months. Kind of like, I don't know, British Rumspringa is what it sounds yeah. like to me. Um, so she does that. She goes to Toronto, like a really far flung corner of the existing empire. And there she meets the daughter of one of the, like, best geneticists in the empire. She makes friends with the heir to a shipping firm whose ships are all being, like, harassed by American pirates. Because, of course, this is what America is in this situation. We're just, like, annoying pirates. Um, And so there's this little cast of found family characters. Some of them become romantically involved. There's a lot of friendships um, and adventure. They go to, like, tea parties that are all about political machinations. There's a lot of balls dances and stuff but also like heisty things um and you know a lot of a lot of bonds and uh and the the overarching thing here is that the three of them team up to like change the world in a way that like i don't want to you know it's kind of a spoiler so lots and lots of romantic relationships and the sweet platonic friendships that you were looking for character relationships and and action adventure blended together so that is that inevitable victorian thing by ek johnston Okay, our next question is from Kyle, who says, uh, in yet another lockdown in Australia, and I'm in need of some recommendations. I need light, but not, quote, brain marshmallow fiction. I still want my brain to exercise a tiny bit. I've read two books that fill this perfectly and are on the hunt for books that are similar. The two were 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hanf and the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Anne Barrows and Marianne Schaefer. I really like the letters telling the story and the innocence of the stories. Relationship drama is not something I have the headspace for right now. Okay, Jen, what you got? 
So mine might seem a little sideways, but <laughs> I feel like the vibe is very similar despite being a different genre. I picked The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo. And this is a novella that is sort of told in journal entries slash someone telling somebody else's story. So it's not technically epistolary, but it has a lot in common with the epistolary styles of the books that you mentioned. And it's about a monk who has traveled to this location that used to be the home of an exiled empress. And the monk is trying to, like, quickly get all of the historical data that they can for their record keeping, which is like their job. But there are a lot of sort of mysteries surrounding what happened here. And so uh, the monk finds some people in the area to tell them some of the stories about what happened. And it's like got that sort of one step removed feeling that I think is what you're looking for uh, with, you know, the the books you mentioned. And it is it's it is like kind of gauzy and like very sweet, even though there are some very dramatic things that happen. The characters are amazingly realized. And I just think it's so well put together. So it's like it's very absorbing without being like super stressful or anything. And the characters will stay with you. The story is great. And the main character, the monk, is like such a treat. I just loved their vibe. So again, I think this will scratch this itch, even though it's like a little bit more on the sort of speculative fantasy side of things. So that's The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Ni Vo. Okay, I picked Francis and Bernard by Carleen Bauer, which is my favorite epistolary novel. It's based on the relationship between Flannery O'Connor and Robert Lowell, who was a poet in you know America in the mid-century. Um, the two of them met in real life at, a, I think, an, a writer's retreat and then maintained a platonic intellectual friendship through letters until, or until Flannery O'Connor died when she was 39. And so the letters are a fictional but like pretty close to reality take on that relationship and those letters. So the Francis and Bernard of the book meet in the summer of 1957 at a um, artist's colony and she finds him to be like a very talented poet but kind of a ridiculous nihilist of a person. So like she's a little <laughs> condescending to him um, but she does value his talent and he becomes a little fascinated with her. Like she upon their meeting there's a great scene where she like makes fun of a bunch of nuns in a really cutting way even though she is herself a devout catholic um and so he finds her like fascinating and witty but also very cold and like almost asexual in a strange judgmental kind of way and so they after they leave the writer's colony they strike up this writing relationship together mostly talking about well the process of writing also about religion quite a bit because that was true to the Pope, to Robert Lowell and Flannery O'Connor's actual letters, but also about like their lives and Bernard's marriages and Flannery's relationships or lack thereof. There is a bit of like, we obviously are in love with each other's minds in a kind of way. So maybe we should meet in person more often and like see if this is a thing kind of a question, but it's not like relationship drama in the way that you're wording it. It's just a serious question between two adults who have come to appreciate each other. And so as the letters progress, they get more and more close. And, um, you know, you can see how their conversations are, are influencing each other's work outside of their letters. It's just really fascinating. It is, I think, a great way to exercise your brain in a kind of fluffy package, because 
you know, their language isn't terribly elevated or difficult to understand or anything, but they are talking about a lot of philosophical and theological questions that you will, you know, that are quite thought provoking, but often in ways that are kind of goofy and making fun of each other. So I think this will fit right into what you're looking for. So that's Francis and Bernard by Carleen Bauer. Maybe the nerdiest book I ever recommend. <laughs> I don't know, Amanda. <laughs> We've set a pretty high bar. That's true. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> for nerdy books. Uh, all right. Let's see. Question four is from Becca, who says, I'm looking for lighthearted, funny space slash alien books. That's it. That's a whole question. Love Great. it. Perfect. <laughs> um, here for it. So, yes, I am delighted to recommend unto you a book that Sharifa just like waxed enthusiastic about over on SFF. Yeah, which is Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders. Love a Charlie Jane Anders joint. And this one is exactly that. It is like an intergalactic romp. It's a YA about a teenager named Tina who is a human clone of an alien commander. So like, you know, multiple layers of things going on here. And she knows what she is and she's she's on Earth and she knows that her destiny is to like go out and like rule the galaxy or save the galaxy or whatever. She's got this great <laughs> something big... Something with the galaxy. <laughs> something with the galaxy. Great big destiny. And she's kind of tired of waiting for, like, the thing to happen. So she's just like, well, I'm just going to go make it happen. But obviously nothing is that simple. And she ends up going on this whole journey. There's found family vibes. It's extremely, like, funny and rompy, as well as being, you know, they're teenagers. So, like, they have lots of feelings and, mm. like, are trying to figure out, like, how to do these big epic things while also, like, dealing with their teenagery feelings and hormones, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, yeah, like, the amazingness of Charlie Jane Anders's brain in terms of building these outer spacey worlds is known. And I think this is one, like, really leans into the absurd funny side of things, which sounds like exactly what you are looking for. So, again, that is Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders. I will give a quick content warning that the characters, some of the characters do experience transphobia. All right, I picked Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Coach, which is the most ridiculous book ever, like, that just exists. It's the first book in the Catherine Kitty Cat series. Her name is Catherine Cat, K-A-T-T, -T, and she goes by Kitty, because of course she does. Why wouldn't you? And so she, Kitty, is a marketing manager. When the book opens, she's leaving jury duty, and she comes across a couple, like, fighting in the street outside of the courthouse, and it looks like it's going to get kind of heated but she very much is like late for work and is just kind of wanting to get out of there but then the dude transforms into like a huge winged beastie and starts going on a killing rampage and instead of running she follows some weird instinct that she has to kill it and she does with like i think a pen from her purse so that's weird uh where did that instinct come from and while she's standing there kind of trying to recover and figure out what just happened a black you know, tinted window SUV pulls up and a bunch of ridiculously good looking dudes get out and they're like, ma'am, you must come with us, you know, and it's all very official and government sounding. And she's resistant, but also she did just kill a dude. So like, maybe she's under arrest, question mark. So she gets in the car. And it turns out that all of these ridiculously good looking dudes are aliens who are part of an agency that has existed on the planet for a while to protect humanity from, you know, other invading alien species who are bad, one of which is this guy that that kitty just killed 
So she's now embroiled in this like situation. Every member of this alien race are supermodel hot. There's a lot of ridiculous... I'm going to keep using the word ridiculous here because it's completely <laughs> accurate. There are a lot of ridiculous sex scenes between Kitty and the agent that she gets involved with that are both like, wait, how many limbs does he have? Like confusing <laughs> anatomically, but also like the yelling that she does disturbs everyone in the building. Like it's just great. It's very lighthearted and it's not taking itself seriously. Like she knows exactly how bananas this book is and it's bananas on purpose. Like this is a vibe, right? This is an energy mm. that you were going for. So lighthearted, funny aliens. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so that's Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Koch. Let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. Our next question is from Rachel, who says, I've just finished Puerto Rico Strong, which is absolutely stunning. But I think some of the nuance of the stories were lost on me because as an Australian, I have very little knowledge of Puerto Rican history and culture. I would like to change that. Do you have any recommendations for books that explore these themes as well as the political relationship between Puerto Rico and the U.S.? I would prefer fiction, but I'm happy to read nonfiction as long as it is not dry. Okay, Jen, what you got? Yes. So quick note as to the phrasing of that question. Puerto Rico is part of the U.S., mm -hmm. so it is an internal relationship that is indeed <laughs> very fraught and complicated. Mm -hmm. So I could I there were, there were like so many ways I was trying to decide on how to go with this question, but I really love this short story collection. So this is what we're doing. 
It's Mundo Cruel by Luis Negron, translated by Suzanne Jill Levine. And this is, as I said, short stories. It's a debut short story collection that is about a small community in Puerto Rico. And the characters are all sort of united by their sexuality. This is very much about, like, when you say, like, oh, you're interested in learning more about the culture of Puerto Rico. Like, this is very much about the sociocultural vibe as told by the characters who live in this one small community. And it's, you know, there's some heavy stuff in here, like content warnings for characters who experience racism and homophobia, including slurs. But I think what I love about it is that it's this window into these lives. And it's so compelling. It's so sharp. Man, like some of these stories could cut you. Like it's Mm. very sharp. It's just incredibly well done. And I do feel like it is a voice of Puerto Rico that is worth pursuing. It's not going to give you like a breakdown of the whole, you know, colonization and attempts to get statehood and all of this. stuff. Like it's not going to go. It's not going to give you that. But, you know, there are other books and like literally Wikipedia can Mm. give you some of that grounding. So I thought in this case I would prioritize, you know, these like on the ground voices is I guess how I want to say it. So again, that's Mundo Cruel by Luis Negron, translated by Suzanne Jill Levine. Yeah, I went in kind of a similar direction. So I picked Ordinary Girls by Yakira Diaz, which is a memoir. And it's certainly not like a history of Puerto Rico or a history of the relationship between Puerto Rico and the Uni- and the government of the U.S. But like Jen said, that information is pretty easy to get. But this is, since it's a memoir, I think it's a great window into the effects of that r- internal relationship on the people mm. who live in Puerto Rico. So um, Yakira grew up in Puerto Rico, obviously, kind of in poverty. Her dad was a drug, a drug dealer and her mother had schizophrenia and was very abusive. Oh, I should say there's a lot of domestic violence in this so trigger warning for that and her she has a terrible relationship with her brother who beats her quite frequently and she becomes a pretty wild child like she doesn't care about school she does whatever she wants she'll get into a lot of trouble a lot of times on purpose because she's acting out so there's a lot of violence both in her home and in her community and a lot of fear um eventually her parents split up and her mother's mental health just goes down the drain yakira ends up in and out of prison and then they move to miami beach and the situation is very kind of similar. And eventually she joins the military and Yakira is queer. And so that was, you know, in the don't ask, don't tell era. So that is also part of the story near the end of the memoir. So a really stark <laughs> um, and revealing look at one person's life, obviously, but also she's talking a lot about her communities, both in Puerto Rico and in Florida, and how the colonization and policies of the U.S. towards Puerto Rico contributes to all of this horrible crap that she had to deal with as a child and then as a young person and then as a member of the military, um, which when you're a Puerto Rican and queer, <laughs> joining the military is like, whoo, there's a lot. It's just a lot. It's a very complicated, right? So that's Ordinary Girls by Yakira Diaz. Yeah, that book is great. All right, let's see. Next question is from Sarah, who says, I recently read an article about how difficult it will be to solve murders on Mars because of how different the environment there is from the environment on Earth. And now I really need some sci-fi mystery in my life. Murder in space is basically what we're going for here. I don't like my mysteries to be too gory, and I enjoy both adult and YA. The only book that I can think of that I've already read that kind of falls into this category is Across the Universe by Beth Revis, which I loved. 
All right. How about murder on a cruise spaceship? (laughs) (laughs) Because that is what I am giving you. It's Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis Chen, which is the first in the Kangaroo series. And our main character, whose name is Kangaroo, surprise, is a spy. But he's like a desk spy. Like, he is really not that great at field work, but also he has a sort of special power that he has access to this little portal universe that's like a pocket, and it opens into just, like, empty space. So he can, like, keep things in it and, like, put things in and take them out and, like, use it. But he's the only one who can access it. So he's pretty sure that despite his failings, the agency that he works for is keeping him around so that they can have access to this portal. But he, like, bungles another mission. And so they decide to send him on, quote-unquote, vacation, which is an interplanetary cruise to Mars. And they're basically just like, you came to the attention of people. We were trying to keep everything on the DL. You've blown this mission. Like, we need to put you somewhere where you're just going to be out of the way for a while. So like, here, have a cruise to Mars. (laughs) Of course, nothing is as simple as it seems. Two passengers are found dead. He can't resist getting involved in the investigation. And it is very, there are a lot of bits that are about like, yeah, how the heck do you do this in space? on a space cruise ship when there are all these like civilians running around and the technology gets in the way and like the functions of things in space are very much a part of this. And of course, there's more going on than meets the eye. It's extremely page turnery. It's so much fun. I really, really enjoyed this book and I think you will too. Again, that is Waypoint Kangaroo by Curtis C. Chen. All right. Murder in Space. I picked Six Wakes by Murr Lafferty, which is just only about murder in space. So (laughs) it's a, um, what do you call it? A generation ship that has left Earth and is heading for another planet to populate it. It is carrying a cargo of human consciousnesses, which are housed on like disks functionally, digitally. So all of these people and their brains and memories and you know, what makes them themselves are stored in this digital database. And there's also a bunch of material to make their bodies functionally. So when they get there, they will combine, they'll make the bodies, put some consciousnesses in them, and then boom, you've populated a planet. But of course, you need a crew. And so it is crewed by six clones. Um, And in this, you know, future version of Earth, cloning yourself is a pretty common thing. And it's a way that people are kind of attaining, if not necessarily immortality, but then like much, much longer lifespans. So all of these clones live on this ship. They all have dark past. Like most of them are felons or convicted of, not or, and convicted of very violent crimes, assassins, political uh, prisoners, all of these sorts of people. And they're told, you crew this ship And when you get to the new planet, you can start over. They'll give them new identities, all of that. And they picked these clones to crew the ship because it's a it's a journey of several hundred years and the clones can just clone themselves. And but they will be awake, you know, and keeping watch on the ship and making sure nothing goes wrong. So that's the backstory. When the book opens, Maria is the main clone that we have for the POV of she wakes up in the kind of revitalization tank and has been put into a new body. She knows that she's just been reborn and she looks around and like everybody is dead. All of the six clones, including herself, like she finds her own body. She finds the bodies of all the other people. All the, everybody has been cloned. The, the twist here is that nobody remembers anything. So like their earliest memory is the night before the, the ship launched. 
but they've actually been in space for 20 or 30 years, but those 20 and 30 years are totally gone. So now there's six people who have just been reborn, finding their own bodies, which is traumatizing enough, and then having to figure out, like, well, we're the only six people on this ship, so obviously it was one of us. So how do we figure out why and who, and then what do you do about it? Because now we're new, and, like, does that mean we're not... Are you no longer guilty of a crime if you died and then... reborn in a new but it's just very complicated like the questions are weird (laughs) but in reality it's an agatha you know it's an agatha christie locked room mystery like if you took a crime like this out of a mansion in the english countryside and put it on a spaceship that's what this would be but it's got a lot of you know more interesting like what is the effect of no gravity on a crime scene kind of questions that i thought were really interesting so that's six wakes by mer lafferty love that one yeah All right. Our last question is from Jessica, who says, "Uh, I just read Before We Were Yours, and I loved it. I also read The 13th Tale. Love that as well. I'm looking for similar books with lost identity and full of twists. No short stories, please. I want a nice long story I can get lost in for a few days. All right, Jen, go ahead. All right. So I am giving you one from my TBR. It's Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. And I feel very confident in this because Liberty, from all the books, loved this book. Like, cannot say enough amazing things about it. And it is very much like the 13th tale, etc. style. So it's about a young woman named Florence Darrow, who is like a very low level publishing employee, but she very much is like, my destiny is to become a famous writer. And she manages to get a job as an assistant to this very enigmatic, you know, secretive novelist known as Maud Dixon. Her actual identity is a secret, like very, it's like a very Elena Ferrante vibes. And Maud is like, the author, like, with all of this cachet, so Florence is like, this is perfect. Like, I, like, will get famous author vibes, and I, like, can learn some things, and maybe I'll know some secrets, and, like, this is great. But, of course, nothing is as it seems, and Florence ends up going to Morocco and, like, is going to try to start her own novel, but then she wakes up after a car accident with no memory of the previous night and no sign of the author who she's supposed to be assisting. And so then she's like, well, nobody knows who this author is except for me. (laughs) What if I take over this identity? Question mark. Like, (laughs) and of course, nothing is simple and everything is complicated and there's lots of identity twists and turns. And I think you will find what you are looking for here. So again, this is Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. Okay, I picked The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which, I mean, do I even need to, like, this was such a big book when it came out uh, in 2017. I don't know that I even need to explain the plot, but I will. Okay, so Evelyn Hugo is a really famous actress. I mean, the book opens, she is in her, I think, 70s or early 80s. She's retired. She's not reclusive, but like she doesn't do interviews or whatever. And she calls Monique, who is a character who is down on her luck. Her husband has just left her. She works at a magazine, but her professional life is like going nowhere. She's not a big name or anything. But Evelyn Hugo, who was this like Liz Taylor kind of figure, calls Maude and says, I will give an interview to your magazine, but I will only speak to you, which is like, what? <laughs> like, who, who, how do you even know who I am? Like, this is bizarre. So, of course, it's like the opportunity of a lifetime. So Monique goes to her home and over the course of, you know, several days, Evelyn tells her her life story. And she does literally have seven husbands, but it's not what you think. And the real identity twist here is not Evelyn's, um, although there are aspects of Evelyn's identity that are a surprise. It's Monique. It's how, you know, the big question from the beginning is why is Evelyn calling this no nothing nobody journalist to interview her? So that's the real like 
who is that girl? Um, and, you know, you're in Monique's head the whole time. And Monique has no idea either. <laughs> like, she's not holding, like, a secret from the audience. She doesn't know what she's doing here either. But, like, awesome. You know, <laughs> like, this is a big break. Um, so it is twisty. It's very juicy, gossipy Hollywood, old school fun. Um, so that's Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And that's our show. Whoop, whoop. We did it. <laughs> Thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for clearing out all of our coughs and flubs and whatnots. Thank you all for listening and for sending in your feedback and, you know, being generally awesome. We appreciate you. Uh, if you would like more book recommendations, you can have those at bookriot.com. Lots more there. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. We have a ton of them, including all the books in SFF yet, which I mentioned on the show today. So go check those out. If you would be so kind as to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. We think we think it helps other people to find the show. And we just like to see the feedback. Thank you to our sponsors for making the show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. You can also find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 